1: I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Rebecca Rouse is a strength coach, competitive weightlifter, business owner, and military spouse. A Jocko Fuel-sponsored athlete and bodybuilding.com coach, Rebecca has spent her entire career coaching and leading other coaches in the fitness industry in both corporate and entrepreneurial realms. Through her business, Simper Stronger, she empowers others to build mental and physical strength so that they can overcome life's challenges with confidence. Rebecca, it's been a long time. Thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
1: No, it's an honor. We connected on Instagram, might've been a couple of years now, talking about Jocko, talking about discipline, killing freedom and things like that. And you were just sort of getting started, but you've had such a tremendous, I don't want to say it was an overnight success, but you were one of the people that I saw when they first started that was actually putting this stuff into play in every area of your life, as opposed to just being a person who would take this little clip this little motivational quote. And I think that people in today's society, they think that because they're familiar with something, that means that they have expertise or mastery of it. That couldn't be further from the truth. So can you tell us a little bit about what got you into what you're doing now? And tell us the biggest misconception that people have when it comes to getting into better shape. Oh man. I know that's a lot.
2: (laughs) Two great questions. So the journey for me, I think people ask, how did you get started? And I think for me, I have to start in my childhood. I started gymnastics when I was three, and I think I started competing when I was seven and competed all the way up until high school, so still a very young age. And looking back now, I definitely didn't appreciate this until I was older, but the, the foundation for living a disciplined life really started as a child and didn't have a normal childhood like most, you know, school and then after school, recreational activities and hanging out and going to the park, whatever. For me, it was, you know, school and then straight to gymnastics from 3.30 to 7 o'clock at night, home, home dinner, homework, sleep, rinse, repeat. Uh, And then on the weekends, we would travel often for competitions during the season. So if we weren't traveling for meets, then our Saturday practices were four or five hours. So it was very rigid and very structured. And growing up, all that discipline came from within. My parents never had to discipline me It just for whatever reason. It just started from a young age and it came from within. So I always got my homework done. I got straight A's all through school and was able to compete in gymnastics up until high school. So that's kind of where it started. And then from there, kind of morphed into different realms of fitness. I stopped gymnastics going into high school so I could focus on academics. And then in college, I got into kind of the gym scene, the, the weight room. And I think like most other people, bodybuilding was the first intro to weightlifting and strength training. So I did that all through college. And I did a figure competition just to you know see what my physique would, could do. And that was definitely glad I did it once. Not something I wanted to do again. And then after college, my first job was as a personal trainer. So that was kind of where I got my foundation or my start as a coach and looking to take what I had learned on my own journey, as well as what I learned in the textbook, and then apply it to helping other people on their journey. And so that was 2014 when I started training other people and and taking on clients, working at Equinox, which is more of a, a corporate fitness facility. And then I did that all the way up until the pandemic and in 2020. I left my job there when we shut down and there was no end in sight to that and decided to take the reins and start my own business. So that's really the the journey for myself as an athlete as well as how I got into coaching.
1: And this is the thing, you hear what she said because she is very internally driven. It doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't days that she's not motivated, or it doesn't mean that she's not motivated at a 10 out of 10. Maybe there's days where she's at a seven out of 10, but yet if you listen to her story, if you look at Jocko, if you look at Goggins, and Zing, these people, those people still have days when it's not always easy, and that's why the discipline is there. But that's when they use the routine, that's when they use the habit, that's when they have this sort of default drop down where it's like, I don't think about this stuff. I just begin to execute, and yeah, I may stumble, yeah, I may fall, it may be ugly, but I get it done. Is that true?
2: One hundred percent. My husband is active duty marine, and he always said, you know, to his guys and gals, he would say. You don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your training. And I think that's true in combat as much as it is in you know everyday life. You know, How do you show up? Do you show up at all? And discipline versus motivation is one of my favorite debates. You are not always going to feel motivated. And that's Jocko's two-minute video of Good, the YouTube video that where he talks about. Good, uh, if you go through adversity, good. Learn from it, get back up, do it again. And so if you can build those habits, which is something I've worked really hard to do, it doesn't matter if I'm feeling disciplined or if I'm feeling motivated, I have the discipline and I built those habits to fall back on. So I show up regardless. And that doesn't mean going hard every single day, but doing something every day to move the needle forward. Because if you're, not, if you're not moving forward, other people are. So technically you're moving backward. There's no stagnant. That's how I feel.
1: Yeah, there's no between. And if we're being honest, that is the truth. And I just did the four by four by 48 this weekend. And it was the same thing where we have to continually embrace this. We have to continually push. So I look at micro adversities, like working out, fasting, whatever it is. But at the same time, we still have to have like what you do, these competitions, these big landmarks that really make us rise to the occasion. And even though we talk about it and we wax poetic about how motivation goes away, discipline is here, adversity is great, but when you're in it, it's still difficult. So this doesn't take away the hardship necessarily, but it reminds us of why we're doing it. And the more that we can become familiar with it, if you did something great yesterday, that's fantastic. What are you doing today? More importantly, what are you willing to do tomorrow based on what you've done today? And I think a lot of people lose sight of that.
2: Absolutely agree.
1: And so we were just talking about the discipline. And then the question that I asked you after that was, what was the biggest misconception about training or getting into better shape? I think we may have already answered that, but what do you think your answer is for that?
2: I think the marathon, not the sprint. I laugh at that because I'm far from an endurance athlete and I do neither of those things really, but as a weightlifter, but understanding that it is a journey of a lifetime. It is not going to happen in a day, a week, a month, a year. And that's why one of my biggest issues with the fitness industry is people promoting these six-week challenges or get abs in five days or whatever. Like, I think that's really harmful to put that messaging out there because it gives people false hope. And then so many people end up quitting because they don't see the results that they want in four weeks or eight weeks or a year even. You know, it's, it's truly years and it's a lifetime in the making. That's not to say you can't reach those smaller benchmarks along the way, but I think people think that you can get Your dream physique or you know crazy strength or whatever, insert the goal there, it doesn't happen overnight. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of consistency to achieve great things. And if someone is looking to be average or they just want to achieve something, sure, you could do that in in a short amount of time. But if you're looking for greatness, which is what I am, and the people that I try to surround myself with, then that is a long, long, long journey. And I think that's where people maybe fall short or are misinformed.
1: I think also people forget about. The potential of rebound as well, which is not always positive. In fact, sometimes you actually end up in a worse place. Like you say, if you had this New Year's resolution kind of idea or this, I'm going to do six weeks to get to whatever the hell it is, I think is important. And then if they fall off the rails at that point, lots of times they just rebound even more. And now it's like, well, I'm not doing this now. So now I'm going to double down on this crappy food or this like a physical activity or binging on Netflix or whatever it is that they're doing to artificially pacify themselves. And it becomes very dangerous because there's a lot of damage that can be done in that short amount of time if they're not careful.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: So the weightlifting you've been doing, but competitively you've been doing now you're a nationally ranked weightlifter, correct?
2: Nationally qualified. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I just qualified last month for the USA Weightlifting Nationals, which is in
1: congratulations.
2: June, July. Thank you. I never imagined I would compete at a national level. I didn't get into weightlifting with the intention of going that far, but trying to be better every day, every week and see what happens. And the pieces fell into place and, you know, not without a lot of hard work and and discipline, but here I am nationally qualified and we'll see what happens when I get to compete against the best in the nation.
1: Iron sharpens iron. It'll do nothing more than make you get better. I can only imagine. So talking about performance, especially on a platform like that, because I've talked to Olympic athletes, UFC fighters, and they all have sort of a similar idea. But even when it comes to training, like you've talked about how disciplined you were even as a child. And I see a lot of people that don't even have a, a disciplined mindset as they approach the workout or as they approach the session, they're kind of like, I'm going to go in there. And if I do this, this and this, and I'm good. But when you're talking about what you're talking about, where these ounces equal in pounds over time, What is sort of the mentality that you have as you approach that stage when you're trying to get that lift or when you're trying to qualify for whatever it is? Can you give us sort of the cues that you have in your mind?
2: You mean specifically on like meet day or?
1: The days leading up to it and then also on meet day as well because I want people to get a snapshot into the insights of your mind as you're approaching this area of excellence.
2: I think a big one is tuning out the noise. You know, every competitor is on his or her own journey and it's tempting and easy to, especially with social media these days, to look at what everyone else is doing. And I've learned through trial and error that that doesn't actually help me focusing on what other people are doing. I need to focus on myself. I need to make sure that my routine is dialed in. I need to make sure I'm sleeping, recovering, training hard, eating well, fueling properly, and that I'm doing my best. And whatever happens on meet day will happen because of the steps that I took or didn't take leading up to it. And if I let myself get distracted or focus on what other competitors or other lifters in my weight class are going to perform that day or what they did last year. And, you know, I am guilty of it. I've fallen into that trap before and I try to be very aware of it now, learn from it each time. But I think just focusing on the controllables, there's so many other factors that I can't control, but focusing on what I can control. And I think that's as true in weightlifting or athletics as it is in anything in life that's going to have the biggest impact for my performance and, you know, the outcome of whatever it is that I'm doing.
1: And what she's talking about it, it feels like also is about presence, about this moment, this lift, this grip, this movement, this cue, because that's all we can really do. I mean, in today's society where everybody's trying to multitask like crazy, multitasking is the art of fucking up two things simultaneously and getting nothing done. So, especially when you're doing something it's like, I just need to grip this, make sure I have it where it is get my feet under me, explode, and I'm good. But even within that, sometimes that seems overwhelming, especially when you talk to fighters, when they're walking to the cage or to the ring or onto the mat for the Olympics, there's this additional pressure, as you said, because there's this other noise. There's the lights. There's the audience who may or may not want you to win. And if you allow that to get inside, it becomes unnecessary anxiety. It burns up a lot of the energy that you have physically, mentally, emotionally, and focus-wise, of course. So I think that that's a powerful testament to that. And then do you try to reproduce that sort of mentality as you attack every session leading up to it?
2: Yes and no. I think the there's just something different about meet day or game day or whatever than training. It's always going to be different. You can prepare as much as you want, but the reality is the, the pressure is different. The environment's different. Like you said, the lights, the crowd, you know, I train in a two-car garage with one or two or three other people. Which is vastly different than meet day where there's an audience of spectators and there's noise and there's music and it's very different. So I try to keep consistent with my mindset. And those last few workouts leading up to a meet, I try to replicate, you know, my focus and tune out everything else and really put myself in, in my own mind as I will be on the platform so that I'm familiar with feeling a little bit of extra pressure and feeling hyper focused and, and all of that. But I've competed in five or six meets now, which Admittedly, it's not that many, but every time it's still, it's very different on meat day, like my nerves, and I'm still working on learning how to control that. I don't know if anybody has really successfully mastered that. It it always will be there, I think, but the elevated heart rate, the adrenaline, the the energy, the sweaty palms, all of that, it's really hard to replicate that outside of the actual environment.
1: Well, and the key to that too is, like you said, understand that that's always going to be there. It's like adversity, it's omnipresent. And if that is the case, so now we take into consideration instead of fighting it, because we're not going to be able to stop it. But how do we lean into it? How do we leverage it? How do we blend into it so that it serves us now? And now that takes that additional component away. So it's not something that is stifling us or choking us in the process. I felt it in different places too. You said, even with military training, where you're fatigued, you're going through the shoot house for 24 hours. If you get in your own head and you worry about it too much, it takes too long. And now somebody gets hurt, whether it be you or your buddy. So you have to have that kind of idea as you go into it. And then again, that. Presence is what allows you to focus on what's important in the moment. There's always going to be some sort of distraction. And like you said, there's only three things we can control. Our thoughts, our actions, and our attitude towards those actions. We can't control what anybody else is going to do. The enemy always gets a vote. So we have to have that mentality as we approach into it. And then speaking of your Instagram account, which has amazing content, and it's just your name on Instagram. There was one that you had on there about your first experience with an ice bath.
2: (laughs) Yes, last summer.
1: Yeah. Can you tell us about that?
2: Sure can. So let's see.
1: (laughs) She's like, oh yeah, I will never forget
2: it. (laughs) It's very vivid for me. For whatever reason, I have always just been very averse to cold. I grew up in California, maybe Southern California, maybe it has something to do with it. I've always been very comfortable with the weather because was 70 degrees and sunny all the time year-round there. But just cold was just one of those things. Yeah, I could deal with discomfort in different ways. Lots of heavy weight and gymnastics, they would wreck us every session. And so I'm used to that type of physical discomfort. But for whatever reason, the cold just always was that thing for me. I couldn't get past it. And so I had done cold showers, you know, 30 seconds, trying to add 10 seconds every time. I did periods of that to try to get over it, but I never really stuck with it. And so the ice bath opportunity came along. So I guess technically my first my first experience with the ice bath was in 2018. I went to a Wim Hof seminar and it was like an all day thing, did the breathing and, and we did, talked about, you know, had different speakers and everything. And then at the very end of the day was everybody gets in the ice bath for two minutes. And I had this horrible anxiety the whole day, just knowing that that was coming at the very end of the day. And we did it. And I got into, I think about my hips, maybe my waist. And I barely remember. It was so traumatic for me because I think I blacked out and I was crying. Everybody else was fine. And I was bawling because it was so, I was so scared. And I was so uncomfortable for me and maybe made it to two minutes. Honestly, I don't even remember, but I was very observant of like how everybody else around me was very calm. Yes. It's uncomfortable. We all know that, but they were all fine. Nobody was crying. Like I was, I was a basket case and it was so embarrassing for me after that day. I was like, why am I the only one that was that uncomfortable and that weak when it came to the cold and i kind of put it on the shelf and didn't really think too much about it and That was kind of around the time when my whole like discipline journey and like reading self-development and bettering myself and really honing in on that discipline in my adult life kind of kicked off around 2017, 2018. So a little time went by and the opportunity to go back into an ice bath came up again last summer when I was back in San Diego. And 2021 was kind of, I decided in January, I don't really do the resolution thing, but I set goals and make commitments. And one of my commitments was... To say yes to any opportunity that came my way in 2021 that would get me out of my comfort zone or contribute to personal professional growth in some way. I had to say yes. And so some one of my friends that invited me to this like sauna ice bath contrast experience in San Diego with a friend of hers. I obviously had to say yes because I knew it would contribute to my growth. Felt I felt that same like anxiety and anticipation, the nerves leading up to it, but this time was different than three years prior. I just Because of all the work that I had done on my mindset and all the books that I've read and the podcast and the people that I've listened to who have inspired me, I just knew I would be okay. Like I knew I would get over it. I knew I wouldn't have a meltdown, but those same feelings of anxiety and anticipation started to creep back in. And I just learned how to tune them out. And so I I went in, we started with the sauna. We did 15 minutes in, I think it was over 200 degree sauna, like one of the the wood barrel saunas and then rinse off for like 30 seconds and then get into the ice bath. And we did that three times and ice bath was three minutes. I did it. I did it. The first one, I was trembling, shaking and then the guy that who kind of runs the thing, he was there next to me just talking me through it, telling me how to breathe, to bring my heart rate down a little bit before, you know, by the end of the first minute I think, after one minute had elapsed, I was cool as a cucumber. You could there's a video, you could see the beginning of the 3 minutes, I was a mess and then by the end I was like looked like I was zen, just completely in my happy place. And then I did it two more times. And by the, at the end of the third one, I completely submerged my head and everything. And I think I I conquered my fear of, of the ice. So that was cool. Very cool experience.
1: Yeah. It's a huge breakthrough. And for those that don't know, Wim Hof has a breathing method, but the breathing method that you do is sort of pre getting inside the water. And like you said, there's a woman named Emily Kwok. She's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion. And they were talking about how she and Marcelo Garcia, they had this protocol before they step on the mat. Because sometimes in competitions, just like probably like weightlifting, they say you're going to be competing around 12 and then it's 2.30 and you're afraid to eat. Or what if I run and use the restroom and come back and they call my name and I've missed the lift. So they're to a place where they can get prepared to step onto any arena in like five breaths. And so that's kind of what you're talking about is you get those rests before you get in. But then when you're in it, it's about using that parasympathetic, slowing it down, when we fight against it and we tense up, what are we doing? We're telling our body to fight it and go against it. But when we lean into it and just try to breathe, it's just cold water. Just relax. It's not going to drown me. I'm going to be all right. You're so much stronger because of it. So now you love ice baths and you do it every day, right?
2: A hundred percent. No, I don't. But I have actually, I just moved to Texas not that long ago. And my husband and I are talking about getting kind of the sauna ice bath situation set up and In the near future, especially now with the amount of training and the intensity of my training, being a competitive weightlifter, which I was not back then, my recovery is so, so, so vital and it's becoming a full time job. I I do the Epsom salt baths just about every other night after a training. And so now it's even more justifiable to add more recovery protocols and have the ice bath be one of them. So I'm definitely going to be looking into that soon.
1: I think it's a great idea. I've got quite a few clients that have them and they're like, I can live without it. And just like you were saying, if you can get Nice and warm first, and then get in there. Like that contrast is even more satisfying. I guess is probably the right word. So you've talked about sort of your journey, and I know that Jocko's books have been integral to your development in that. Are there any other books that you would recommend for people that are in that place wanting to get to maybe more resilience?
2: Sure, I've read a lot of books and podcasts too. I think Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill is a fantastic book, and that really helped me solidify my mindset. And just also, especially it's more fitting now than ever with the way society is going. And there's just like a clear divide with the doers and the won't doers. And so I think that that was great and came to me at the right time. The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins is a fantastic book as well. Just having a bias for action and taking action before your brain talks you out of that, whatever action it is, you know, you need to take that you've been putting off for X amount of time. So that's a great one. All of Jocko's books, for sure. Discipline equals freedom, especially the field manual. Gosh, there's, there's a million more. I could, I have my, my Audible I can pull up to and list off of 20 more titles, but those are the ones that just came to me right now.
1: No, I like it because those are the ones that usually make the most impact. And with books, in my opinion, it's almost like music. It depends on what day I may ask you tomorrow. And you maybe mentioned a bunch of Robert Greene's books or whatever it is. So there's a lot of stuff out there. And with Audible, again, I didn't do the Audible version of my book until last year because I was kind of a old school, I want people to grab my book and read it, feel it, you know, smell it kind of thing. But I've had a lot of my audience here like, I love your book. I'm just not disciplined enough to sit down and read it. But if you put on Audible, I would listen to it four or five times. So we listen, we act, we meet people where they are. And I'm glad that I did it now because now I'm starting to use Audible more, even if it's a book that I've read two or three times, hearing it while you're in transit sometimes, right when you're in this place where you're maybe more receptive, it's incredible the impact that it can make.
2: 100%, absolutely. And I used to commute a lot. And so I would consume Audible books like clockwork. But now that I'm not commuting anymore, I work for myself. And so I, pref- I always will prefer the, the paper book. Like I still have my Audible library and I, I enjoy podcasts as well. When I go for a walk every morning and pick a podcast and, you know, smaller sound bites, which is great too. So you can't go wrong really. Just, I try to do something every day to Enrich my brain and better myself and learn from somebody else who's done what I want to do.
1: And the other thing is, if it's an audible book that I like, I go out and buy the physical copy anyway, because that way you have it or you're like, oh, I remember that part. Now you can go back and find it. So if you don't have as much access to it, so I I think it's important. You talked to us about a hardship that you went through with the ice bath. And I've never met anybody that has any physical resilience that hasn't gone through difficulty and adversity. Can you tell us about another time in your life that you went through something that was difficult? And it can be in any realm where at the time, you didn't know if you could do it. You didn't think you could do it. And tell us about the gift that you found from that adversity after you overcame it.
2: Yeah, that's a great one. I think that the time that always stands out to me is, it was, let's see, 2017, late, late 2017. My husband went on deployment and that was his third deployment, but our first as a couple. And I was 20, 26 at the time, so still pretty young. Recently become a manager. So I had a, a team that I was responsible for, of a team of trainers, and he left and, you know, I was alone for the first time. We, we met in college. We were pretty much together all the time through college. And then leading up to deployment, there were some periods of separation, but I had never experienced that before. And we were, we only been married for a few years at the time. So he was gone and uh, it was about November timeframe. It was just like a series of unfortunate events that happened. Of course, like Murphy's Law, of course it would happen while he's gone. So I was living, we were living in San Diego at the time. There were forest fires that were running rampant and I had to evacuate my house while he was gone so I had to you know go through our closet figure out what the most important possessions were that in case our house caught fire and we lost everything what would I need to have and so had that and packed up my car with all of our things and our dog and went to stay with my friend and then that night my dog got ended up getting injured and like had a nerve injury in his back and couldn't walk for two days turned out to be a whole thing that required like months and months of recovery so that happened literally that night when I left the house, was staying with my friend and the dogs got into playful fighting and then he got injured. And then shortly after that, a mentor of mine at work that was somebody I had looked up to, had a very good relationship with him. He committed suicide and that was the first person I had ever known personally to commit suicide. You know, I've heard stories of family, friends of other people, but I had never known personally anybody who took their own life. And I was also lied to uh, from coworkers about how it happened. I was told it was an overdose came to find out later that he actually hung himself. And so it was just all these things that happened at the same time that I lost my great aunt, like four days later, it was just one thing after another, after another. And I was like, when is it going to end? What's next? What you got for me? So just dealing with all of those things while also being alone, my husband was overseas, had very little communication with him and not knowing what was going on on his end and not being able to talk to him during these difficult times when he would normally be somebody I would be looking to for comfort. I didn't have that. So that was a rough time, but we got through it. We always do. So just, I think that the overall learning experience is when times get tough, persevere, it will get better. And just looking to find a healthy way to deal with that type of stress for me, you know, working out will always be that and focusing on myself. And again, it kind of goes back to what can you control? All these other things are out of my control. I couldn't control the fires or my friend who was in a mentally horrible place and the dogs, like all that stuff. It was very out of my control, but how I handle and how I respond to those situations is very much in my control. And so leveraging the networks, the people that I do have in my life in a healthy way to get through those times, and journaling and all the, the healthy ways that we know how to deal with stress. So that was kind of a dark time in my adult life, but we got through it and here we are.
1: You did. And you mentioned journaling. Is that another one of the tools that you use? Is that a daily tool?
2: I'd say not daily. It ebbs and flows. Some days I'll or some weeks I'll be very consistent with it. Then I'll put it down for a couple of weeks and not pick it up until usually it's when things are going through periods of change or or I really feel like I'm something's weighing on me heavily, I'll wanna get it out and think and journal about it and I'll kind of process it that way It definitely always helps so i'm not as consistent with it as i am with some other
1: things are you familiar with josh Waiskin's most important question concept i'm not josh waskin you are familiar with him he's been on tim Ferriss's podcast four or five times he's top peak performance guy brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt tai chi champion searching for bobby fisher inspiration that's what they wrote the book and stuff about but his idea is he'll find a subject matter or an arena So it could be physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, whatever it is. And he'll just ask himself, no bullshit. What's the most important question here? And he'll let that percolate on a walk, on meditation, in a workout. And then he'll journal right behind it, like this creative burst. And sometimes that's when we can really find things. Like you said, when you're journaling, sometimes it's almost as if you're not the one doing it. It's like this outside. I don't want to say outside force, but like you can get a lot of insights that you may not have normally gotten. And so... I have people use that a lot. And again, that can be so powerful. It doesn't even have to be a day-to-day thing like you're talking about. But if you have something that you're chewing on or you're having something that you may not be able to really process easily, that's a good way to do it because now it gets away all the BS. It gets right to the most important part. And now that just allows you to unwind all these other questions to really deeply know what's important for you. And it's going to be specifically for you in that situation in that moment in time. So it's powerful.
2: I like that. That's great.
1: It's good. And then I have my people use the 80-20 rule, obviously. And this is goes back to what we were saying before. Right now, everybody wants to buy this system, this product, this service that gives them all these things up here, but they don't have the foundation. They don't have the self-knowledge. They don't have the discipline. They haven't gone through adversity, so they don't really know what they're made of. And so this is why it's so important to not just be familiar with the most important question or the 80-20 rule or consistency. It's about doing it all the time, being just surgical and monogamous to that thing. So that now it just becomes a part of you and now it's like breathing and now you're just doing this and now you're in the middle of this conversation. There's all this craziness going around you and you can cut through all of it mentally and say, what are they really saying? What's the most important thing right now? What are they not saying? What are they saying that nobody else is hearing? What am I saying that they're not hearing? And that gives you that insight. So now when all this other stuff's going on, you just cut right through all of it like a laser. And then when you ask that question, it helps everybody else and all the other stuff just falls away. And now we can move forward. So it's adrenaline is powerful and then do you do any sort of meditation
2: another one that i've tried and done it stopped done it and stopped and i know every time i have done it consistently i like it but i really have a hard time and i know everyone says this have a hard time shutting off my brain and so i found myself frustrated because i can't shut off my brain and so i know part of the meditation process is like just accepting it the, the goal is not to shut off your brain it's to just accept that there are going to be thoughts there and then Sometimes I'm I'm really into it, and sometimes I find it unproductive, and I find myself stressed out that I'm sitting there doing nothing when I have ten thousand other things I'd like to be doing. And so I think therein lies the message: I probably need to be doing more of that. But yeah, so it's not not something I can say I do consistently, but I do know the value of it, and I believe that it is very valuable and should be doing it more.
1: I think this is a great example. Everyone, you hear how incredible she is, how disciplined she is, and yet even she has difficulty with this thing. But what does she do? She could beat herself up about it. She could try to just continue to force this round peg into the square hole. But right now at this moment in time, it's not the priority and that's fine. You find what works for you. Bruce Lee says, we absorb what is useful. We discard what is useless. And we have it specifically our own. And who knows, maybe a year from now, meditation will be your happy place. And I would also challenge you that I feel that your movement is your form of meditation. That's your presence. That's where you're there. That's your strength for sure. Like literally. So In a lot of ways, you're already doing that. Or when you go for a walk, maybe if you turn the podcast off for a minute, you get that presence, you get that movement. So it's a different kind of meditation, perhaps. And again, we don't always have to sit like on a cushion, have incense and wear robes and shave our heads. But the idea is to just, if you can give yourself a couple of minutes. And like you said, meditation is the art of focusing on your breath and then losing it and then coming back and then losing it and coming back. It's about using what works for you in this moment. And then understanding, just like you said at the beginning, it's a marathon of sprints. It's this work here. And we just continue doing this and we continue moving forward with it in the process.
2: I agree. And I think to your point, yes, I do carve out time to do just that and focus on the breathing, whether it's during my morning walk. Some days I'll listen to something, some days I don't. Sometimes it's it's sitting in the Epsom salt bath. Sometimes if I've been very busy, I'll literally take my computer into the bath and do work or study while I'm in the bath because I don't have time to get everything done. But then there are other times when I intentionally Don't bring my phone, don't bring my computer, nothing. I just sit there and don't bring a book and there, me and my breath. And so, yes, I I do intentionally take those moments, whether it's five minutes or 15 to be present, but it's not always quote unquote meditation as people suggest meditation should be.
1: Yeah. Some people are more concerned about the ritualization of it and telling me exactly what place they sit and what time they sit. It's like, I don't care about that. Are you doing it? Is it working for you? Well, it's not really working. Well, why don't you throw it away? Well, I can't. Why? It's not like you have to do this. you will come as a child. And when you were talking about that hardship that you went through when your husband was deployed, what you learned about yourself, do you feel that other people can cultivate that? Do you feel that it's just sort of born within people? Do you feel that it takes that hardship to make people see what they're capable of? Because some people face something difficult and they get stuck there. That's as far as they develop. And if that happens when they're 22, then they're, they're the same person at 80 when they die. Why is it that it makes some people elevate and it makes some people just kind of stay stuck there?
2: It's a great question. And I kind of believe that it's a little bit of a little bit ingrained, but also can also be taught the nature versus nurture thing. I, there's no question that there are mental health constraints that sometimes people face. And to a degree, I think that that could be innate. Um, But that's not to say that going through certain types of adversity or hardship wouldn't help people elevate to that next level. And so I think there's a fine line there. Like I'm not suggesting people do things that are going to compromise their mental health or anything like that, but I do think that intentionally exposing ourselves to different types of adversity and hardship can more often than not will help us get to that next level. And that doesn't have to be a a workout that takes you to the black. It it doesn't have to be the ice bath. There's there's lots of different ways people can expose themselves to adversity and what one person considers difficult or uncomfortable, someone else might not. And so I think it's up to each person to do a little bit of introspection and, and figure out what those things are, what they're willing to do, and then just keep pushing it a little bit more in a way that is safe, but also takes them out of their comfort zone. Public speaking, doing something that's brand new, introducing themselves to a stranger on an airplane, like any of those things. Some people might thrive in that type of environment. Other people might shy away. And so I think that's very individual. But I do think that most people would become better or be able to kind of break through those barriers and elevate themselves to that next level by exposing themselves to some sort of hardship because we learn. If things are always easy, we don't learn. We just can't wake up. It's Groundhog Day every day. It's always the same. And there's value in routine, as we've talked about already. There's there's a lot of value in that regular discipline and routine and habits. But we don't want to stay the same and wake up and have every day be like the one before it. Then we're not moving forward.
1: And I agree. Pain and discomfort is the best teacher. Adversity hurts because it's trying to get our attention, make us be present. And like, are you listening? It'll shake us sometimes. It's like, Are you paying attention yet? And if we're not, it'll just keep happening. And when it comes the next time, it's got even more compounding interest lots of times. So it forces us to really take that accountability and take a look at it. Tell us about your company and what you do and how people can start to learn more from you, whether it be classes, all the stuff that you offer.
2: Sure, so my company is called Semper Stronger and it was born again during COVID as so many other companies were. Just out of necessity, I found myself without a job and without pay from Equinox.
1: And tell us what Semper means for people that may not know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Semper means always in Latin, and the name of our company Semper Stronger is drawn from Semper Fidelis being the motto of the Marine Corps, which means always faithful. So strength is something that is a huge part of my life, obviously as a strength athlete, but also the emotional mental strength as much as the physical. And it's been an integral part of my relationship with my husband. We own the business together. And so we just decided to pull Semper from the Marine Corps and Stronger from something that really we tried to embody in everything that we do. And thus the name of our company was born. So, what we do, we are primarily online, but also, sorry, now that I'm settled here in Dallas, trying to add a, a more of an in person component as well, but mostly online fitness and strength programming. I do one on one training with clients online or in person. I've written a series of strength programs that I have available for people to follow on their own. And then we also have a membership. We have members from all countries all over the world, South America, Europe, Australia, which is super cool. So we bring people together, people from all different walks of life, different demographics, different countries. But one common goal that unites us all is wanting to become physically and mentally stronger. And so that's really the thread that ties everybody together. And we're all on our own journey. And I think that's really great because one person might want to be running a Spartan race and the other person wants to just stay fit for their kids and set a good example. And then somebody else might be a competitive athlete or military operator. So there's all different types of people, but we share that, that common goal. So we are also growing this year. We're going to be adding some additional coaches right now. It's just me that's doing the coaching. My husband, he does a lot of the backend work and helps me with the website and all that that side of things. But as far as the coaching and the programming, that's currently all me. And this coming in the next probably month or two, we're going to be adding more coaches who want to utilize our platform that we've spent the last year and a half building to spread our message, train their clients and just help us grow and help the world become a stronger place. So that's kind of our next phase of development for Center for Stronger. That's where we are right now.
1: I love that. And people can learn more about that on your Instagram and going to your website and, and things like that. For those of you that hear is just continually waxing on about strength. Strength is so important because if you have strength, it gives you the capacity to exercise empathy. If I feel strong, if I feel like I'm not threatened by somebody that is in need, It's okay for me to be able to feel like I don't have to put on this air to exercise strength. I can actually have the capacity to reach out to this person, to help this person, or even from a financial standpoint, how good does it feel when you see somebody that needs help, whether it be a family member or whether you buy somebody gas or groceries at the store and you have the means, the financial strength to give this person a hundred dollars for gas or for food or whatever it is. That strength not only helps you in that moment, but it literally helps everybody around you when you continue to push that out. So for those of you that are like, Oh, well, what's this big deal about strength? Why is it so important? It serves you in every arena that you enter. And you can just do it just in the mentality or as a physicality, but strength is never really a weakness. If you're willing to be open, if you're willing to be honest and you're willing to be humble in the process.
2: I couldn't have said it better myself.
1: <laughs> well, that's why I had you on here. Tell me how excited are you for the Jack Carr, not only the new book, but is it going to be on prime now? Crime, yep. Oh my God. That's incredible. Those of you that don't know James Reese, amazing guy. We were talking about how much we love that. And then there's just so much that's going to be coming out. I can't wait to get my hands on the new book and then see the new series. Hopefully they do every book for a series for a season.
2: I imagine that they, if it does well, which I have no doubt that it will, that they'll continue to do all the books.
1: And did you see who's playing the part?
2: Chris Pratt.
1: Yeah, he's the man. It's going to be awesome. Yeah
2: the trailer already got me fired up. (laughs) It's just so cool for Jack. Like he's, I met him in December and he's just nicest, most down to earth guy, heck of a a military career. And then to to leave the Navy SEAL teams and do what he's done and have as much success as he has had as an author. I think that's the dream right there. And he's, he's a big inspiration to me, just how humble he is and how successful he has been just really perfecting his craft. I think,
1: yeah, he's, he's incredible. It's interesting because he says in his book, he says he's always wanted to be an author. And it's funny to see an operator of his level and his experience in the SEAL teams for years. But then how that informs the way that he writes. And if you guys haven't heard what he talks about, I mean, when he talks about a SIG sour 365, like you feel like it's in your hand. You smell the round go off. When you're going through or you're assaulting out of an aircraft, it feels like you're jumping out and it's cold. It's like Stephen Pressfield or... Robert Greene writing about this thing, but he's talking about things of which he truly knows of what he's speaking. So that gives you this feeling as a reader that it's like, wow, I'm right there, I'm in it. And even the audible book, the guy that does the voices for all those, that guy's an incredible narrator. So yeah, they're pretty amazing. The same guy has done all of them so far. That's what I hear Reese in my head as. So. If I'm listening to it, reading the book is incredible, too. So if there was one piece of advice you could give people besides discipline equals freedom, what would it be as parting gift as we wrap this thing up?
2: Oof, such a great loaded question.
1: <laughs> that's that's why I did it. I wanted to see.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, just based on my own experiences, mm-hmm. that silencing the voice of fear, the voice that is in all of our heads that talks us out of doing things that we want to do, that we could be doing. We know we should be doing, and we choose not to because of fear. And I've been so guilty of that so many times. And on the other side, once I've blasted through that plateau or that wall of fear, that's or that voice in my head telling me not to, good things always happen. And I've seen that and heard, you know, I've listened to so many podcasts of people who are wildly successful and have achieved things that I would like to achieve, or to the degree that I would like to achieve them. And that's a common thing is just. Not letting fear dictate our decision or indecision to act. And so sometimes we make mistakes, we make the wrong decisions, and we learn from them. But not acting or choosing not to act based on fear alone is one of the gravest mistakes that I've made and that so many people make. And I see other people who are in my field or people who are still working the same job but want to start their own business and don't do it because they're afraid or it's too risky, or there's any number of reasons that could, why it might not work, but they fail to see the possibility of what if it does work. And when that door opens, the possibilities are great and endless. And so that would probably be my parting message is just not letting fear stop us from reaching our potential.
1: I love that. And I know that you're familiar with Tony Blauer's material too. He's a great insight with that. And if if you guys want to learn more about that, check him out as well. Tell us the name of your website. Tell us the Instagram. Tell us all the things. How can we learn more about you? How can we hire you? How can we learn about everything you're doing?
2: Sure. So my website is semperstronger.com and my personal Instagram is at rebecca.rouse at semperstronger is the Instagram for semperstronger. And you can email me at Rebecca at rebecca.semperstronger.com. I'm always there and will always answer. Send me a DM. I answer those too. So I really love to connect with people. And I think being the owner of an online business, That's been one of the coolest things for me is just being able to connect with people and bring people together from all over the world that I may never meet in person and otherwise never would have met if it weren't for social media and technology. So, I really do love to connect with people and just hear people's stories and successes and trials and tribulations and all the lessons that come along with it.
1: Tell us a story that sticks out for you without mentioning the person's name specifically, but what was something that you through all these connections? What was the story that really impacted you?
2: I think once a month I do a live workout and when I log into zoom and see people show up and we do a quick, where's everyone located and just to see people like, because of what I've built with Semper Stronger, I have to pinch myself to see people come from Lithuania and Panama and Canada and the United States all over the country. And just to see people show up because they, they believe in what we're doing and they want to get after it with us and spread the message. And then they post about it afterwards. Like I still wake up and can't believe that, that I built this and that I'm able to have this type of impact on people. So I know that's not like a specific one person or, or anything like that, but that's what sticks out to me the most. And it's why I get up in the morning and it's why I sometimes work from sunup to sundown because to me, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like me building my empire and leaving the legacy that I want to live, but to leave and bringing my vision to life. And so to me, there's no greater gift than that to really be able to bring my vision to life in the way that I want. And answer to myself and not to somebody else. That is truly freedom.
1: Rebecca Rouse, thank you so much for inspiring us to ever be simpler, Stronger. I'll talk to you soon. Thank
0: you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to marcusareliusanderson.com join his Octa Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.